25 years after Chinese students memorably but tragically demonstrated people power and democratic yearnings by occupying Tiananmen Square for six weeks from late April until early June, Chinese-speaking students have done it again. For 24 days from March the 18th to April the 10th, Taiwan students led a major protest against Taiwan's Guomindang government by occupying the Taiwan parliament, the legislative yuan. It thereby forced the government to abandon, at least temporarily, the parliamentary approval of a China-Taiwan services trade pact. This had been negotiated and signed last June by Taipei and Beijing as a follow-up to their 2010 Economic Cooperation Framework Agreement, after which there has been a considerable expansion in China-Taiwan trade. The pact ostensibly permits freer trade in services across the Taiwan Straits. So in both 1989 in China and 2014 in Taiwan, the looming power of China's communist government was a fundamental factor stimulating student activism. In 1989, the Chinese students, having made their point on the need for democracy, but after failing to win any political concessions, refused to quit even when urged to do so by the last-minute personal intervention of the politically sympathetic General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, Zhao Ziyang. Zhao was then purged and disdained by the Communist Party, while the students who had refused to quit were massacred. In 2014, Taiwan students were in a more advantageous position as they took to the streets to indicate their anxiety that the trade in services pact would mean that China's greater economic power would work to Taiwan's disadvantage. While some authoritarian tendencies are still observable, particularly in the ruling Guomindang, Taiwan democracy has been steadily developing for the last two decades. So it was initially reasonable to expect that an oversight law would accompany the passage of the trade pact through Parliament and that doubts regarding the pact would be thoroughly aired. But as in Beijing in May, June 1989, so in Taipei in March 2014, the powers that be were so complacently convinced of their own political virtue that they disdained all criticism and compromise and so went ahead regardless, thereby creating what would otherwise have been an avoidable crisis. The crucial event this year took place at what became a chaotic session of the Taiwan Parliament, the Legislative Yuan, in which the Guomindang, the KMT, currently enjoys a 65 to 40 majority over the opposition Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP. On Monday, March the 17th, the KMT government broke an agreement to conduct an itemised review of the trade pact before seeking its approval by the legislature. The review had only proceeded for less than a minute and one KMT legislator, Chang Ching Chung, announced that the review was over and the pact would now be submitted for overall approval. This provoked a slanging match between the KMT and the DPP, but it aroused more sustained anger among student activists and civic groups. 
The next day, a hastily formed Democratic Front Against the Cross-Strait Trade in Services Agreement held an evening rally outside Parliament, which ended with the storming of the legislative yuan, a move which apparently took the authorities completely by surprise. According to the Taipei Times, quote, Using swivel chairs and other furniture, the protesters sequestered themselves in the main legislative chamber. Overnight police attempts to evict them were unsuccessful, unquote. Right from the start, hundreds of people, mainly students, lent their support to the students occupying the legislative yuan by permanently demonstrating outside the parliament building. There were never any vague calls for additionally occupying parts of Taipei. The demonstrations remained carefully tied to the one issue at hand, the need for careful parliamentary scrutiny of the trade pact prior to approving or rejecting it. But occasionally additional demands were made for additional objectives, such as the resignation of KMT Premier Jiang Yihua or an apology from the President, Ma Ying-jeou. Throughout the crisis, Ma appeared to be unbending, seemingly certain that the pact had to be endorsed while showing no flexibility in his occasional calls for the students to end their occupation. On March the 22nd, Premier Jiang Yihua became the first-ranking Guomindang official to actually meet the Occupy Parliament protesters. According to one press report, quote, he was met outside the legislative yuan by a national Taiwan University graduate student, Lin Fei-Fan, and other student leaders, who demanded that for a dialogue to happen, the Premier should promise first to withdraw the Services Trade Pact from the legislature and to enact a new law aimed at providing close scrutiny of all agreements with China. The brief encounter broke up after Jiang rejected the setting of preconditions for a dialogue, unquote. The main contrast with 1989 was obvious. The Taiwan students did not have to demand democracy. They already had it. They merely stuck firmly to a position that the KMT government had inexplicably abandoned, careful parliamentary scrutiny prior to passage of the trade pact. The occupier's choice of target was shrewd. The legislative yuan had to be up and running before the pact could be ratified. Once the legislative yuan was occupied, it could not do that. President Ma's government has been so immersed in its policy of pursuing better economic ties with China that it has seemingly assumed automatic popular support will be its reward for any agreement with China. Perhaps the KMT has done for Ma Ying-jeou what it once did for Chiang Kai-shek and told the leader what it thinks he wants to hear. But the students occupying the legislative yuan would appear to be pushing public opinion in the direction it already prefers. Thus, an opinion poll released by Taiwan Indicator Survey Research a week before the students occupied Parliament indicated that a substantial 44.5% of respondents oppose the latest China trade deal, only 32.8% supported it, and 22.9% did not respond. A clear majority of 73.7% said they endorsed a line-by-line -line scrutiny of the agreement, the very option which the government disdained on March the 17th.
Inevitably, demonstrations of people power usually result in social turbulence, and this one was no exception. On Sunday, March the 23rd, Ma held an international press conference at which he again stressed the importance of trade in services pact and the need to give it quick passage. The students occupying Parliament replied by repeating their demands, notably that there should be no action on the service trade pact until a new oversight law had been enacted, accompanied by a KMT pledge that the law would be given priority over the pact. Then, in the evening of the 23rd, hundreds of protesters broke into and sought to occupy the government's administrative headquarters, the executive yuan, effectively the prime minister's office. Precisely who had summoned these mainly student demonstrators remains something of a mystery. Clearly those already occupying the legislative yuan and demonstrating outside it did not break away to join in the widening offensive. The suspicion remains that this would-be group of occupiers were jealous of or considered themselves rivals to those students already occupying Parliament. But this time the police were ready and sought to forcefully repel the new attack, sometimes with water cannon. A bitter fight ensued until by daybreak a damaged executive yuan was finally cleared by the police. Reportedly, more than 200 persons, protesters and police, were injured in the melee. Four days later, on March 27, the students leading the occupation of the legislative yuan called upon the public to attend a rally in front of the presidential office building on Sunday, March 30th. The violence of the 23rd was seemingly forgotten, as there was a huge turnout on the 30th in support of what the students were now calling the Sunflower Movement, saying that the Sunflower was symbolic of the light and the transparency they wanted to bring to bear on the Taiwan government. The organisers claimed that 500,000 Taiwanese, many of them dressed in black, demonstrated their support. Some press reports concurred. Others merely maintained that the crowd was way in excess of 100,000. Even the police put the attendance at 116,000. Perhaps the best evidence that the crowd was huge came the very next day when the chief whip of the Guomindang Parliamentary Caucus, Lin Hongqi, apologised for the social turmoil that had ensued after the KMT's action blocking oversight in Parliament on March the 17th. But in the end, the occupation of the legislative yuan only ended due to the intervention of a KMT member whom President Ma ying had been trying hard to expel. He is the speaker of the legislative yuan, Wang Jinping, who was actually expelled from the KMT on September the 11th, 2013, after President Ma charged him with influence peddling. Wang took the case to court and was reinstated both as KMT member and as speaker. Ironically, the KMT had until the middle of April to appeal Wang's reinstatement. Whether Ma has now chosen to appeal or to quietly drop the seeming vendetta against Wang is not yet clear. But Wang's intervention with the students was crucial. 
On Monday, April 7th, Wang went to the occupied chamber and promised that a bill giving the legislative yuan oversight of all agreements with China would be approved before the House resumed consideration of the Services Trade Pact. A day later, the occupying students decided to finally withdraw from the legislative yuan on the following Thursday, April the 11th. Speaker Wang had rectified the KMT's mistake of disdaining parliamentary oversight on March the 17th. As far as can be seen, that is where the matter still rests. The passage of bills in the Taiwan parliament requires protracted meetings between the political parties. As Speaker, Wang controls the agenda because he is responsible for convening meetings between the political parties. Another interesting political sign is that Speaker Wang is reportedly minimising any damage done by the three-week occupation, whereas some Kuomintang members were hoping to land the former demonstrators with large bills for the damage done by their occupation. Like him or detest him, it would seem that the Kuomintang simply cannot afford to dispense with Speaker Wang's services. Apart from anything else, the Sunflower Movement appears to have had a tonic effect on the Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP. While the occupation of the legislative yuan cast the KMT in a negative light, it didn't place the DPP in a particularly positive position. The highly negative memories of Chen Shui-bian's eight-year presidency still linger on. The DPP's tendency to undergo bruising factional disputes puts off many of the younger generation, which is mainly intent upon developing Taiwan's democracy. Another such factional dispute threatened as the party prepared for the 2016 presidential election. So the DPP has probably scored heavily as that threat was quietly demolished. The threat of the DPP being riven by a three-way Donnybrook was suddenly transformed by a single undisputed coronation. This transformation was accomplished when former DPP chairman Su Sang Chang and former Premier Frank Shea both withdrew from the current contest for DPP party chairman, leaving former chairman Tsai Ing-wen virtually certain of an uncontested victory. Tsai made a big impression as presidential candidate when she cut Ma's 2016 re-election victory down to only 6% of the total vote. She resists taking the easy anti-China road of her DPP predecessors. She could be the kind of leader the Sunflower Movement will be looking for. <laughs>